0: Welcome to Bible Q and A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Eric Barreto.
1: I'm Cameron Howard.
0: And today joining us is Gracia Grindel, professor of rhetoric here at Luther Seminary. Thanks for joining us, Gracia.
1: Thank you. Gracia, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail about what heaven is like. What can we know?
2: Well, the major place we find out about heaven is in uh, Revelation, especially the chapter 7 and the latter chapters, where you get this glorious picture of music and singing and worship that is deeply thrilling to me as I think about it, with the just glorious picture of light, music, the crystal stream. Those are images that make you long to be there but it's very sparse when you get right down to it.
0: Why do you think it is so sparse? What what is it about scripture that maybe maybe not hesitates to talk about heaven but is uh so imagistic, so poetic about it's image, about its vision of the afterlife.
2: Well, because you can't portray eternity and these fabulous uh, rapturous images in worldly things. I mean, it's sort of like just the nature of language can't contain or bear that wonder it can hint at it and speak of it and we know we're promised that if you think of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting as part of what we believe but it's there's nobody who's uh writing in the scriptures who's had a picture of this that they could relate in any way to us as mortal beings
0: So if we're thinking about, say, the pictures in Revelation about streets of gold and huge walls and big gates, what do we do with that? What do we make of that? Do we just chalk them up to beautiful images or is there something more there?
2: Well, I think there's a lot more there. But uh, how you, uh, I mean, you're not going to send real estate agents there. These are, <laughs> this, I mean, it's all location, that's e- location, location, location. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's Ezekiel. It's, I mean, it's all part of the whole biblical witness, these images of where God dwells. But I still think even if everything in Revelation is exactly true, uh, you know, in a literal sense, it's barely what will be there mm. when we actually experience it.
0: It's just maybe just scratching the surface. Yes.
2: It it's uh and, and anyone who's read the Bible thoroughly and fully will say, Oh, this is Ezekiel, I get this. You know, mm. the mm-hmm. the temple is like this and and uh you know there are many different ways. Heaven comes down to us, you know, Jesus is the kingdom of God and is heaven mm-hmm. when he's with mm-hmm. us. There are all kinds of different ways to think about it. But I'll go with Revelation and the beautiful imagery there.
1: There are some beautiful literary depictions of heaven outside of the Bible. You look at Paradise Lost as one particular um, vision of heaven. What is it that makes um, poetry about heaven so compelling?
2: Well, I think that as uh, human beings, and this is what Milton does, Human beings whose vision is limited and perverted by sin, the vision of heaven and the imagery there makes you long for something outside of yourself Mm -hmm. in which perfection will come, in which all the tears will be wiped away. Those are hopes and promises Mm -hmm. that draw us toward Mm -hmm. it. And when we don't preach everlasting life, why? You know, if that's all there is, well, then let's go dancing. We need this telos in our lives. Mm to move us into another reality.
0: So when it comes to our listeners who are, you know, people who are, you know, trying to read the Bible and, mm-hmm. you know, regular everyday people, what what does this mean for their everyday life? What does it mean to have this, this loss, this kind of goal towards which we're moving? How should that change people's lives?
2: Well, I think it will change them radically because there are consequences to one's beliefs. Uh, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there is what the spiritual (laughs) says and I think that's what's happening now everybody ends up in heaven when we talk about a dead person there's no sense that one can only get there through Jesus Christ I mean that's what the Bible says very often you know there's one way and we know that when people don't preach that the church is empty out because (laughs) it doesn't matter where you (laughs) what you believe you know just uh, it'll all work out people don't have to go to church then to find out this way, the truth and the life.
0: One of the images I'm always struck by at the end of of Revelation is this image of the new Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's striking because it comes in the wake of of all these scenes of judgment. Mm -hmm. But when you get to the end of of this story, you get this huge city with huge walls, these massive gates, but they're wide open and it says anyone can come in and come out. Like I see this tension in, in the, in the narrative in revelation between openness and judgment between um, this wide grace and this judgment against the evil that invades the world. And I wonder if that's one thing we might be able to capture better when we think about heaven. And if we line it up with the poetry and then with um, with scripture that there's this tension there. It's not, um, it's not just about open doors. It's also about judgment. It's both of those. Oh, things. yes. I
2: mean, some of the strongest words come at the very end of the whole book of Revelation. Uh, I think that, you know, that is a tension. I'll, I'll agree with that. But there is that notion that there has to go through, you have to go through some kind of a judgment, some kind of a of a washing and a cleansing or a, or a cleansing fire or something like that so you are ready for this place. I mean, mm-hmm. I always am astonished when people think they can go directly to God and stand there and have an argument or enjoy God in a way without having gone through something that makes them holy. Mm. I mean, uh, I think that's what we're missing today in our lives, the notion Mm. of holiness. And how are we made holy? Not by what we've done, but by clinging to Christ. And that's where the holiness comes from. And then everything opens up to you in life here and later on.
1: Mm. And that notion of holiness, as well as the tension between judgment and redemption, has uh, Old Testament antecedents through and through um, in, in, you know, entrance to the temple requires that ritual bath, that um, preparation. And then the prophets who are poets themselves give us these visions, both of impending judgment and of God's continual return Mm -hmm. to Israel and continual return to the people.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that is very interesting. in Milton, I just taught the course to the lay school theology. And one of the things that's very interesting is the devil is a professor of rhetoric like I am. and he, he sed- That can't be right. <laughs> he seduces people mm. with his rhetoric. God doesn't have to do that. He just speaks mm. the truth. So if you are repelled by the picture of God who says, for example, about the human race, when he's talking to Jesus or his son, he doesn't ever call him Jesus. When he's, when he's um, talking to his son, um, he calls human beings ingrates, and people react against that. How can God say things like that? Well, Milton would argue he's not doing it in a sneering way. He's just speaking the truth. Hmm. And we don't like it because the truth hurts, and God is repellent to us unless we have this mediator. And that was interesting. They realized that. They did like Satan better.
0: Interesting. (laughs) I think, to me, one of the the biggest misconceptions about the afterlife that I see in a lot of popular Christianity and we see in the wider culture is this vision of kind of our our souls being detached from our bodies, and then we get to revel in these clouds, and that it's a kind of otherworldly existence. And what I see in Scripture, especially I think in the book of Revelation as well, uh, is an emphasis on... A on the resurrection of the bodies that our bodies are going to be with us in some sense it's 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 different, but still our bodies uh, and also it seems that there's this continuity between this life and that life um, that it 's not it 's not entirely anotherworldly existence it 's still new jerusalem it 's still a city it 's still a place where we as humans would recognize as life, but maybe turned up to ten maybe with that light that we talked about earlier um do you think that there are some misconceptions around resurrection that we might be able to correct by reading Scripture a bit more carefully?
2: Well, that would, say, help a lot if yeah. we read Scripture. And there are two ways to think of this. There's a couple <laughs> to of this, yeah. so we, That's it
0: right. Us, it sounds like us, a good idea. It keeps idea. Us employed, yeah. Right. <laughs> that's right.
2: But one of the things that's, you know, there are two notions, you know, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And then there's the waiting mm-hmm. in the tomb. And right. the tradition is largely the waiting in the tomb. But as Roy Harrisville and Don Jewell said, when Don Jewell was dying, which one do you prefer? Hmm. He said, I prefer the one in Mark. Right, right. Oh, no, it's which one is the Today Thou Shalt Be With Me in Paradise? That's Matthew, yeah. I think. Yeah. So that so that there's, um, we do have these two possibilities, but waiting in the grave until Christ calls you is the one where hymnody goes more often mm-hmm. and where I tend to go. My father loved this hymn where um, the hymn writer says, Earth folds in her arms my weary frame. Mm. And beautiful. that waiting, he yeah. loved that notion. And so, but we do have two, but... I think everybody gets into heaven really easy now, and and I don't think that's helpful for the growth of the church.
1: One of my favorite moments in Paradise Lost is when— Satan realizes that Adam and Eve will be imparadised in, in each other's arms. I think of that as a, a glimpse, a way that paradise or heaven manifests itself on earth in terms mm-hmm. of companionship. Are there other ways that we can glimpse mm. heaven on earth?
2: Well, I think we always say things like that. Uh, Paradise is, in a way, they're in paradise in each other's arms. They're remembering Eden, not heaven, in Mm -hmm. a way. They're remembering what it was like before sin. And I think God, in the sexual relationship and in our other relationships, gives us kind of a hint of that. But um, sin is always there, ready to corrupt all of those things. I mean, Satan, when he sees this, is defeated. Again, he's defeated throughout the whole book mm-hmm. when he realized that God has been more clever than he, but he has corrupted this as well. But, but mm-hmm. the, we have many places where we say that was a hint of heaven, mm-hmm. and I fully uh, understand that and agree with it. Yeah.
0: There's a sense, I think, in which we often incorrectly assume that heaven means the kingdom kingdom of God means heaven those two things are one and the same thing Mm -hmm. um and I I don't think they're exactly the same thing but I think the when Jesus announces the presence of the kingdom of God for example in the gospel of Luke it's wherever he shows up the kingdom of God is there and I think there's a sense in which the gospel writers are talking about a sense in which we can experience this foretaste this sense of uh, what it's like to be in God's presence in a palpable tangible and real way Um, that I think we can lean on in in everyday life.
2: I think that's very important that when, you know, he's promised to be with us always and then at the end as well. So I think that uh, maybe preaching today to people that when Christ is near, one senses the need to worship, to repent and bow down and say, when you are with Christ, you are as near to heaven as you can get. Hmm. And I would prefer that kind of a relationship talk to say that when Jesus is there, In your life, called into your life, things will change and directions change because you have a new being Mm -hmm. in Jesus, which is one of the things that heaven will do. I mean, my mother, a pastor's wife, would somehow say, If I have to go to heaven and those people are going to be there, I don't (laughs) think I want to be there. (laughs) And then uh, someone told her, But they will be changed. Mm -hmm. And she said, Oh, and then so will you. So will you. Yeah. That wasn't all good news. (laughs) And that's why, you know, we, we're so interested in the self and we want to continue the self forever. But in the Christian faith, our self is killed yeah. and we're made new in Christ Jesus. And there's where heaven begins, I think. Paul Gerhardt, the hymn writer, talks about that. When I am with Christ Jesus, my heaven is begun.
0: So maybe in the end, the promise of heaven is that we're all going to be changed mm-hmm. and all drawn near into God's mm-hmm. presence. Right. Mm-hmm. And um,
2: that's why the resurrection of the body, whatever that is, it's it's absolutely impossible to speak of that in anything but poetry but the change will be to our benefit but it will also be hard yeah.
0: thanks for taking up a, a really huge and big topic for us really appreciate your time with us you're welcome thank you for joining us on bible q a you can find more information at EnterTheBible.org. join us again